I hope that you are set to hear from the Word of God. Uh, here from your Bible. So if you did not close your Bible, you'll still be in the book of Numbers in chapter number 32. Uh, but if you did close it, go ahead and you can pull it back out and uh, we'll, go, uh, we'll go there from God's word. So, uh, so my name is Matt and uh, my wife up here was Hannah and we have two little guys. Um, we've got Samuel and Campbell. And so we, are, uh, we travel in full-time evangelism as, uh, as was said. And so we are working on year number six of traveling and evangelism. And um, sometimes I think, wow, I feel like we're finally kind of figuring out what we're doing. And then our, <laughs> really what happens is then our children change and uh, they grow another year and things are different. And so some of um, uh, just what family life looks like looks different, but um, we're glad that we're able to be out and just be an impact in people's lives. And um, I'll just say thank you um, to those of you who let your team Teenagers come uh, to the uh, to the youth retreat. Um, I really, uh, I, for some of you, I'm glad. Maybe you say, "Well." That's what we do. Of course, we would send them. I'm glad. Uh, maybe some of you. Maybe it was a difficult decision. Maybe you were. Um, uh, maybe it was a little bit of stress about getting them a day out of school, and uh, maybe it was hard with uh, maybe just them being gone or something like that. Um, you know, uh, this these retreats for your teenagers. They really are a part of um, your uh, your pastor and your youth pastor's uh, growth plan for your teenager. And so the fact that you let them go really helps them grow in the next step, the next stages that they have. And so I appreciate those of you who have um, are really also invested in the young people, uh, those of you who plan to stay for the lunch and be a part of that and giving to that, that is such a great thing. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, sometimes it is really easy for us to invest in young people in um, their college, in their sports, and in their first car. But when it comes to their spiritual stuff, all of a sudden we say, well, I just don't know if we have time for that or money for that. Usually we do. We just put it somewhere else and so um, invest it in somewhere else. So I'm not saying don't invest in their first car or their college or, um, or, uh, their, um, or their sports. I'm just saying don't forget that they'll stand before the Lord. And uh, so thank you so much for letting them come. And we had a great time. A lot of decisions were made uh, there. I wish you could have seen some of the young people making decisions and um, uh, some going back and talking with counselors. And so thank you so much for letting them come. Uh, it was a privilege to have them. I had, you know, I call it the easy part. You know, I just came and you know, I got to preach. I felt like that was the easy part. And just uh, preach and hang out with teenagers and eat gummy worms. Good night. Did you know that they have pounds and pounds of gummy worms at these, at these retreats? And um, yeah, it, um, but it keeps smiles on the faces of people that are there. So, uh, so uh, it works, you know. Um, but um, uh, thank you for letting them come. And I hope that you plan on, for one thing, to let your young people go to camp in the summer. There's going to be more growth that's going to happen. And, um, and so I hope you're... Um, uh, gearing up for that as well, okay? All right, so Numbers chapter 32 is where we'll be, and uh, we've already kind of read the portion of Scripture that we'll be in, so let's go ahead. Let me just ask the Lord's blessing, and then we'll jump into what God has for us, okay? Lord, thank you for um, the Scriptures that we're going to look at. I pray that you would change us, help us to see all that you want to change in our lives, and we look forward to this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the month of January. I have to sometimes have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I wake up, I have no clue what month it is, what state I'm in, or what time zone I'm in with all the traveling that we do. Um, but uh, we're in the month of January still. So let me ask you a question. How many of you at the beginning of the month, which is the beginning of our year, how many of you made a New Year's resolution? 
Did anyone make one of those? <laughs> yeah, me neither. So don't worry. It's not like I'm going to say, well, you know, I didn't. No, no, no. I didn't make a New Year's resolution either. I'm one of those people that I guess I figure uh, maybe, maybe we're all like each other in this way that, um, you know, I figure if I'm going to do something, I'm just going to do it. I don't need January 1st to tell me that I need to do something. And, uh, but, you know, maybe that's why, you know, we all still have some of the habits we still have. But um, a lot of people, when it comes to um, New Year's resolutions, um, people will um, uh, make a decision about something they want to change in the coming year. Most, a lot of times they have to do with two things. These are probably the most common things I hear about is a resolution about diet or exercise, right? Aren't those probably the most common New Year's resolutions that people made, something to do with diet or exercise? Well, um, why, well you say, Matt, why do you bring that up? Because um, when we were um, earlier in our years of traveling, in our first year, year and a half, um, we didn't have the children, and so we traveled, uh, we traveled in a car, went places, people would put us up in different places, and we stayed at this one hotel where there was um, some workout equipment in the hotel. And I remember going down uh, to this, uh, going down to the workout room, and I got on this, I think it was a stationary bike. And when I got on this thing, people, I, I don't get to do it very much anymore, but I, I enjoy exercising. How many of you actually enjoy exercising? Would you raise your hand? You enjoy it. Okay, good. Yeah, so some of you do. Um, I enjoy it. I just wish I had more time for it. And, um, and so, uh, so I was going down there and uh, uh, going to exercise. And so I like it. I really like, I enjoy working out with weights. That's probably my favorite thing to do. You know, running is good for you, probably better for you, even more so maybe than weights. But, you know, running is just kind of, you know, here we go again. You know, we're just going, we're going around again. You know, that's all, you know, running gets kind of boring after a while and just hurts while you're, you know, it hurts while you're running. I like weights. But um, so I get on this stationary bike and folks, um, you know, if you've ever done any kind of exercise routine or you've been on a sports team before, you know that if you're going to, if your body is going to grow and develop and get stronger, it's got to go through pain, right? It's got to go through pain. All right. So you ready for this? On the stationary bike, there was this little sign that said, discontinue at the first sight of discomfort. And I thought, how American is that? That is so us, you know, of um, we need a sign to tell us, to, to, to warn us that if you're not comfortable, you go ahead and just sit down and quit doing this because we don't want you to sue us. I mean, that is, that is American through and through uh, for, for us. And that's really kind of sad, but you know, that says who we are as a culture is that we love to be comfortable. A lot of times we kind of kick back against anything that might possibly um, bring us some kind of discomfort. You know, the re reality is this though, is that the Christian life really is about anything but comfortable. Now, God does say that the Christian life will have joy throughout it, but God does not promise comfort throughout our Christian lives. And uh, one of the things we're going to look at here about uh, in Numbers 32, we're going to look at God's people in the Old Testament and how they became comfortable with some things in their lives that God did not want them to become comfortable with. Now, what had happened in just the previous chapters is um, the people of Israel, uh, there were kind of numbers, and especially the book of Deuteronomy, you know, Israel is getting closer and closer towards the conquest time when they'd be going into the promised land. And so they, before they got into the promised land, though, there were some Transjordan tribes that they would have some conflicts with, kind of some, some pre-conquest battles before they actually got to cross the Jordan River. And they had just come out of a battle with the Midianites, and part of having this battle with the Midianites was that uh, they ended up having 
as verse 1 tells you, Numbers 32, they came into possession of a bunch of livestock. And that was just one of the normal spoils of war. Well, the Bible says in verse number, chapter 32 and verse number 1, it says, Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle or of livestock. And so it says, When they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for livestock. Um, there was, uh, they, they came upon this land called Gilead, and it was, the pro- and it was just a prime spot. What I want you to see here first, about, I call it comfortable Christianity. Number one is that comfortable Christianity wants things that are outside of the will of God. What happened here was that these tribes, after they had completed this battle and come into possession of this livestock, they also noticed that there was a, an area called Gilead, and as verse 1 says, it was a place for livestock. It was, um, it was very arable land. It was, uh, it, was, had, um, uh, it was a great place for vineyards. It was a great place for farms. It was a great place to raise livestock. However, there was a problem with the land of Gilead. It was prime real estate if you, if you, uh, if you had livestock. There was a big problem with it, though. You know what the problem was? Gilead was located on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Now, you might be saying, is that a, is that a big deal? Should I be worried about that, Brother Matt? What, what's the big deal about the east side of the Jordan River? It's because, especially you can read it's really clear in Numbers 34, but, it, but God made very clear where the boundaries were where God wanted his people to settle. And God set up the, the Jordan River as the eastern boundary. In other words, you had the Mediterranean Sea, uh, sea on one side. You had the Jordan River on the other. Well, I guess for you it would be flipped. <laughs> Mediterranean Sea on this side, Jordan River on this side. And God said, I want you, my people, to settle inside of this area. And you might say, well, why would God want that? You know, uh, one thing I think may have been an important factor in this is just the very fact that um, not every part of Israel is well irrigated. If you're going to have farming, if you're going to have um, livestock, you've got to have irrigation sources. You've got to have water. And um, not every, not a whole lot of Israel is well irrigated. There's lots of areas that are not. And, um, and so one of the things that the people of Israel would have to do is they would have to trust God for rain. They'd have to trust God for rain. And actually, you can read in the book of Haggai, as well as in the book of 1 Kings, that one of the things God did when his people began to sin was God would withhold rain to get his people's attention. Because, you know, if you don't have water, you don't have crops, you don't have crops, you don't eat, you don't eat. Well, life doesn't go real well, okay? And so, and so, one of the, so God wanted his people in this specific area, and Gilead was outside of those boundaries. Yes, it was beautifully irrigated. It looked like a prime spot of real estate, but it was outside. Can I put it this way? The land of Gilead was outside of the will of God. It was not where God wanted his people to be. Now, they might look at it and say, um, say well, this is a great possession. What's wrong with having this? You know, uh, you know, can I put it this way? God is not opposed to you having stuff, having possessions. If God allows you to come into possession of something that is very nice, uh, whether that even just be money, your investments go well, you come into possession of property, uh, you, uh, whatever it is, God is not opposed to you having things. What he is opposed to is things that are outside of the will of God. 
And for Israel, being in the land of Gilead was outside of the will of God. You know what's interesting? As they, um, uh, as they became, wanted to become comfortable with this, they became blind to what really was the will of God because they knew what the will of God was, of where they're supposed to settle. But it says in verse number four, so they go, these, um, these two tribes, they come before um, the, the leadership, Moses and the other elders, and they come before the leadership, and they're wanting to ask them, listen, um, would it be okay if for our inheritance, when we do this conversation, quest of Palestine, can we just have the land of Gilead instead of having a property inside of these boundaries? And one of the things they said in verse number three, they said, you know, uh, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah, Heshbon and Alela and Shebam, Nebo, Bam. They're reading off all these cities that they had conquered. It says, uh, it says, even the country, they said, which the Lord smoked. Before the congregation of Israel, it's, well, it's a land for cattle, livestock. And he said, and thy servants have cattle, livestock. And so in essence, they said, look, um, you know, this, um, you know, we just happened to come into possession of all this livestock, which I don't think was necessarily a wrong thing, I don't think. Um, but they said, you know, this, you got to realize something is that this livestock that we were given, that the Lord gave us this livestock, Right? The Lord gave it to us. Therefore, since God's given this, we're going to need this property that is outside the will of God. Isn't it amazing how they pulled God into their scenario to justify what God said he didn't want them to do? You know what that sounds like? Sounds like us. How we pull God and his name into things and to, um, uh, to try to justify something that God doesn't want us to do. You know, we say, well, you know, the Lord, you know, gave me this item. You know, therefore, um, I need to make payments on it so I really can't tithe at church anymore. I really can't give at church anymore. I know it's like, it's like biblical to be, giving to, uh, to be giving to your church, but, um, well, the Lord gave me this thing. I got to make payments on it. Isn't it amazing how we pull God in to justify what we want and to justify why we don't have to be in the will of God? You know, um, I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big football fan. I love football. I'm a Steelers fan. I know the, your wonderful music director is as well. He's a great Christian. And, um, and so, uh, uh, so th- you know, uh, I'll tell you, can I tell you one thing? Can I tell you something, folks? One thing I hope we'll, I'll be able to say this to my dying day, I love football, and I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'm going to tell you what, you won't find me at a game on the Lord's day when I should be in his house. What if, uh, what if uh, it was said, well, because uh, I have a friend, just so that you know, I got to go to this one game. It was really cool. We got to sit in box seats and got to be up there and watch the game from there. It was really cool. And you know, he has, a- he, he has access, if I asked him, to probably find, probably every season, find me some tickets. You know, what if I just said, well, you know, a lot of people can't get these special seats and the Lord has allowed me to make friends with someone. So if there's these special tickets and he's willing to give them, the Lord's given me these things. So I feel like I should be allowed to, um, you know, if Hebrews 10.25 says we should go to church. Well, I feel like we can skip that if the Lord says here. You better be careful. 
of using God to justify something that is not his will. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, the Lord has given me uh, this, um, this promotion. The Lord has given me these things. And, you know, he may have. But be careful that we don't use those things to justify something that God says he doesn't want us to do. And how sad. It got so bad that in verse number five, these two tribes said, if we found grace in thy sight, let this land, Gilead, be given to thy servants for possession and bring us not over Jordan. In other words, they said, let us have Gilead. Don't take us into God's will, the promised land. Don't do it. Let us have Gilead. And this, um, this comfortable Christianity totally blinded them to knowing what is God's will because comfortable Christianity wants things that are outside of the will of God. Number two, comfortable Christianity discourages other believers. Look at verse 6. It says, And Moses said unto the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war? And shall ye sit here? So he says, you know, are, are, are you really going to uh, allow all of your brothers to go into battles and you're just going to sit here and do absolutely nothing? <laughs> and in essence, these two tribes were like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, what we were going to do. Is um, We've already fought some battles. We fought the Midianites. We have what we want. We got the land of Gilead. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much what we want to do, Moses. And so verse 7, Moses said, Wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them. And so he says, you know what you're going to do? Basically, he says, you've gotten comfortable with this this." land that is outside of my of God's will and Moses says you will discourage your brothers in fact he says you'll make them not want to go into the land either you only got to realize is that when you start justifying things that are outside the will of God you will discourage another Christian that per, that Christian may be in your family that Christian may be in your church but you'll start to discourage someone else you know, you might, you might have um, uh, in, your, in your home, there might be um, stuff that is happening, on, stuff that's on your phone that you look at, stuff that you watch, subscriptions that you pay for with television shows that have things that don't bring glory to God, things that, are, uh, that would, are disgusting in God's sight. And you say, oh, well, you know, it's just, um, you know, the Lord's allowing me to have this nice TV. I've got the subscription, so I can, I'll watch what I want. And maybe it's not the best stuff. Maybe it's not you know, really good stuff, but it's only me watching. It's not going to mess anybody else up friend just wait it will mess your it will mess with your marriage and you will discourage a marriage partner because you insist on having something that doesn't please God maybe you say oh well so maybe I've got an attitude of complaining so maybe I've got an attitude of just uh, uh, of not really respecting authority you know uh, so everybody at work is that way that's just the kind of the way everybody is and so you know uh, so if I don't so if I complain a lot now if I have a bad attitude at work you know what is it to anybody it's my you know it's my life my attitude folks um number one God wants you to have a good attitude even at work with people that are hard to get along with because they're in everybody's workplace. You're not the exception. 
Number two, you know what's going to end up happening is you could, you know, you could easily pull down someone else to have the same awful attitude. You'll discourage someone else so that someone else says, oh, I want to try to have a good attitude when I go into work. And then here's you having a bad one, and you may discourage another Christian. You might say, well, you know, so I get upset, so I get angry, so I do, uh, you know, I'm, uh, so, so maybe I, I lose my temper and blow up at people all the time. It's not just me. I'm just the one who's getting angry. It's just me. No, you may actually discourage your children until they don't want to be around you and until they don't want to be around God. You might say, well, you know, I've got all kinds of things going on in my life, and you know, I don't know that I can really help with the gospel outreaches at this church. You know, when Vacation Bible School comes around, and, and when, uh, you know, these youth outreaches and these adult outreaches, we try to bring in unsaved people. You know, I, I, brother Matt, I got a life. I got things I got to do. So is the rest of us. Okay, just... So that you know, you know, so is the rest of us. Everyone out here is busy. But when we say, well, you know, I'll just let someone else take care. Someone else can handle the gospel, you know, uh, getting the gospel out. Someone else can pass the tracks out. Someone else can do the discipling of the new believers. Someone else can go knock on doors of people who, show, who visited on Sunday. Someone else can, can, um, can invite people to church. Someone else can do that. Do you know that it won't take long with that kind of attitude before you discourage the other Christians in your church? They won't want to do it either. Comfortable Christianity will discourage other believers. That's number two. Number three is comfortable Christianity will draw God's wrath. In other words, when you get comfortable with something that is, that is not within the will of God, you know, sometimes we just think, well, because we just kind of gradually grew into allowing something that is not in God's will to be a big part of our lives. We just kind of think, well, you know, God may not be real happy, but it's not a huge deal, I feel like. You know, we didn't, you know, it hasn't been any lightning strikes yet. I feel like we're okay. Listen, God is not an old man that he should forget. And I'm not being disrespectful to anyone or to God in that way. But some of you act like God forgot. And that God doesn't care. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. In fact, it says in verse number eight, uh, in verse number eight, Moses does something. Now, I, you know, I just came from a teen retreat. So if you don't mind, could I use a little teenage term to tell you what Moses began to do after these, these two tribes tell, tell about how um, we would like to not follow God's will for our lives. And, um, and so if you don't mind, uh, we'd like to not follow God's will. And so what, um, what Moses did next is something the teenagers would call Moses freaked out. Adults, have you ever been accused by your teenager of freaking out? Have you ever been accused of your teenager of doing that? Mom, stop freaking out. Have you ever heard that? It just means he all of a sudden got upset. And this, this um, elderly Moses, he got all upset. Why? Because he knew their actions were going to draw God's wrath. And he draws them back, calls them back to remember something that happened. Verse number eight, he says, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. He says, What is happening right now? Moses says, what's going on is the exact same thing that happened at Kadesh Barnea. Now, maybe you're saying, oh, Matt, tell me quick, what happened at Kadesh Barnea? Um, did you ever in Sunday school, did you ever sing that song, 12 spies went into Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good? How many of you have ever sung that song? Okay, good. I'm up here singing by myself, and you're all looking at me. You're like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, so that song, 12 spies went into Canaan, that took place at Kadesh Barnea. 
It was at Kadesh Barnea years ago when Israel was not that long coming out of Egypt. They came to Kadesh Barnea. They were primed to go into the promised land. Moses sent 12 spies into the land to see what it was like. The 12 come back. 10 of them said, oh my goodness, this is a beautiful land. This is just such a great land. Oh my goodness, it's, it's, uh, there's, um, there's prosperity, there's wealth, there's property, there's food. It's wonderful, but there's just no way we can conquer it. The armies there are just so big. They're just so, we're just like little grasshoppers compared to them. They'll crush us. We'll lose every battle. We'll never win. That's what 10 of the spies reported. Two of the spies, and then the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they're listening to these 10 spies, you know, cry their way through their report. And these two spies over here said, um, people of Israel, um, we have a God. And our God can bring us through. Our God can win all the battles. And the spies over here said, no, there's no way. It's just, we're going to lose. And these two spies said, no, 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 trust God. And so the people had to decide. And the people went with the 10 spies. And they really, it was an act of unbelief because God had already promised them, you can have the land. And so when the people said, I don't know if we can have the land anymore, really what they were doing, it was doubt and unbelief. And God does not appreciate doubt or unbelief when he has specifically said something and promised you something. When we doubt and unbelief, it really it really saddens the heart of our good, gracious, promise-keeping God. And so, these, um, and so the people went along with these 10 spies, and so God's punishment was that the nation of Israel was now going to wander in the desert for 40 years until all the adults from age 20 and up had passed away. That's what happened at Kadesh Barnea. And Moses says, this is what you're doing today, Moses said, is exactly what happened to us at Kadesh Barnea. And in verse number 13, Moses says, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done the evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And he says, and behold, you are risen up in your father's stead. You're an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if you turn away from after him, you will yet again leave them in the wilderness and you shall destroy all this people. In other words, Moses was saying, guys, if you don't go with us into the promised land, we're going to do, we're going to be doing the exact same thing that we did at Kadesh Barnea. And Moses says, you're going to, not only all that generation has been destroyed and killed off because they didn't believe God back at Kadesh Barnea. He said, it's going to happen again. We're going to have to wander in the wilderness 40 more years if you disobey God in this area. And folks, comfortable Christianity draws God's wrath. You know, it's sad, he says we are, he said you're risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, means like a brood of sinful men, to augment, that means to like to grow and to pull out the fear and to increase the fierce wrath of the Lord. Are we, um, you know, I think a good question for us to hang in on to is, are we breeding a brood, a coming generation of people who have learned to not follow God's will if it's inconvenient? You know where they learned that from? Us. Because we do that. And then we look at the next generation and say, oh, what's the matter with the next generation? They're just, they're just all falling apart. Yeah. It might be because we set really bad examples. 
comfortable Christianity, it draws God's wrath. It brings punishment from the Lord. Verse 16, they came near unto him. So these two tribes, kind of after Moses kind of freaked out, these two tribes came near to him. They said, uh, listen, we will build sheepfolds here. And they, still, they, want, they still want a Gilead here in our cattle, and uh, we'll build cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel, until we have brought them into their place. So here's number four. Comfortable Christianity is disarmed by obedience. You know, these men were ready. The two tribes were willing to obey, but they didn't have the right attitude. What'd they say? They said, well, we'll go to war until we bring them, the Israelites, into their place. We'll, we'll take care of these battles uh, so they can get into uh, their place. And what Moses did is he kind of corrects them. Verse 20, Moses said unto them, if you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war. In other words, Moses says, tribes, we got to change the attitude. And you got to realize that these battles you're supposed to fight, these are not just, oh, well, I guess it's convenience. Yeah, if we got to help them out, we'll help them out. No, no, no. God, uh, Moses said, these battles are God's battles. These, are, these, these battles you're going to fight in the promised land. He said, these are battles God wants you to fight. And so he says, you need to have the attitude that we're doing this for God, not just because, oh, it's, it's just kind of what we're supposed to do. A lot of times we, get, we just get in such routine in our churches that we, we just think, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, discipling someone else, doing a Bible study with someone else, I guess that's just kind of something I'm supposed to do. Well, maybe someone else can take care of that. Whoa! Do we forget all that, like, that, those random verses of, uh, like, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 called the Great Commission that we're supposed to go and make disciples everywhere. You know, a lot of times those things just become, well, it's not convenient for me right now. Yeah, I just don't know if it's, um, if it's really gonna fit into my schedule right now. Uh, you know, and God says, no, 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 don't look at it as, is this convenient? Look at it as, this is something I want you to do. This is something that I have for you. And so these men, he said, you need to obey with the right attitude and it needs to be complete. Verse 21, Moses said, and we'll go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he, God, hath driven out his enemies from before him and the land be subdued before the Lord. So he says, don't quit in the battles. You know what is right. Keep on doing what is right. Don't get comfortable and quit. So this final thing, number five, comfortable Christianity deprives you of a blessing. Do you know what it says in verse number 22? Moses, Moses was a guy who, um, if, you, if you see some of the things he did with the Israelites, he was a guy of compromise. He was, um, now sometimes we kind of repulse at that word, but one of the things he did, sometimes he gave, um, he saw the stubbornness of the people's hearts, and he gave them some concessions at times that, again, you know, we look back, we might say, well, Moses, maybe you shouldn't have done that, but then again, if you were in charge of that many whiny humans, you might make a few concessions every now and then so that you don't go insane. But, um, so here he comes, and he says in verse number 22, Moses says, because he can still see it in their eyes, they still said, uh, you know, we still want, okay, we'll go to battle, but can we please keep our little land here in Gilead anyway? You know, they still didn't get it that this is not, this land is not inside of the will of God. So verse 22, Moses said, once the land is subdued before the Lord, he says, afterwards you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land, Gilead, shall be your possession before the Lord. So he says, fine, you want this land so bad, you can have this land if you'll fight the battles with the right attitude and obey the Lord. But he says in verse 23, 
But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So he says, you, you know, if, if you're not going to obey, he says, be sure your sin will find you out. And you know, as you read down through the passage, verse 25, 26, 27, uh, we find that the, um, the, their attitude does change. The children, of, uh, uh, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, it says, verse number 27, thy servants will pass over. Every man armed for war before the Lord to battle. So he said, and they said, we will go. We will go forward because these are God's battles. We'll represent God in these battles and do what God has asked us to do. We'll fight the battles and the conquest of Canaan. And so Moses had him uh, make this kind of like an accountability agreement with, um, with the elders and such. And you know what's interesting? It was kind of one of those disappointing moments because Moses saw, you know, these two tribes, they had, uh, they wanted this land of Gilead so bad, this land that was outside the will of God, and uh, so he's trying to show them, no, you shouldn't, you don't want that land, you shouldn't be taking that land, it's outside of God's will, they still want it, even when they say, okay, we're willing to obey, we're willing to fight the battles, when we had originally said, we don't want to fight any battles, you know, okay, there's some growth there, finally they want to fight the battles, but it's like Moses could see, they still wanted Gilead, and they wanted it bad. So Moses says, fine, 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 fine. You can have the land of Gilead if that's something you need so bad. But look at verse 30, what Moses says. He says, but if they will not pass over with you armed. In other words, if these two tribes don't fight these battles, verse 30, he says, oh, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. It's almost like, you know, the, the, these two tribes viewed being in God's will as almost like the punishment and, and uh, they wanted this land of Gilead so bad. It was almost like when Moses made this sort of compromise and said, all right, fine, you can have this land of Gilead that you want so bad. It was almost like Moses was saying, you can have it, but trust me, you don't want it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone like that? Maybe your child or something of, um, they want something, maybe it was a, a brother or sister when they're making adult choices or whatever, and, um, and they want to do something so bad, and you just kind of look at them and you say, okay, fine, but just trust me, you'll find out you didn't really want that. Yes, I do. Okay, just trust me, you'll find out one day you don't really want that. That's kind of the attitude of what Moses was having here saying, trust me, you don't want that land. It was almost like, um, remember in um, first, I think it was first Samuel, first Samuel, where the people said, we want a king. And Samuel said, okay, trust me, you really don't. Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> Come back to me in however many years and tell me about how great it's going with your kings when they start taxing you. You know, ugh, taxes, it's coming up, you know. Uh, it's about time, you know, the ads are already on TV. <laughs> taxes, let us do them for you. Yeah, okay. And so, and so it's like this attitude of, trust me, you don't want that land. You know, the Lord knows best. Because you know what ended up happening with that land of Gilead? I want you to think on this. If you were an invading nation, which the land of Israel is in that spot where Countries were constantly fighting for that thoroughfare to get around uh, the Mediterranean, to get through the Middle East, around the Mediterranean, and so they could get access to Europe and to Africa. You know, if you were, um, if you were looking to expand your borders, where would you want to conquer first? Well, why not take Gilead? Because that's the land that's good for cattle. You know what ended up happening was Judges chapter 10, you know, where Je Jephthah's battle was to drive out the enemy? 
It was in Gilead. Judges chapter 11, when the Amorites invaded, you know where they invaded? Gilead. Judges chapter 12, you know where there was a civil war? Gilead. 1 Samuel 11, you know where the Ammonites invaded? Gilead. 1 Kings 22, 2 Kings 8, 2 Kings 10. Three times the Syrians invaded. You know where they invaded every time? Gilead. And in uh, 2 Kings 15, do you know what the first portion was that the Assyrians took into captivity? Gilead. You know where Gilead's located today? Modern-day Golan Heights. You ever heard about that? Yeah, the conflict never stopped. It's almost like God said, you know, there's, you don't want that land. It's outside of God's will. And, you know, we do the same thing today. We get, it just little things change. We get comfortable with things that God says are wrong. Things that God says are outside of his will. And we get comfortable and they just kind of become a normal part of our lives. We don't even see it happen. We allow these things to creep in. They slowly change in our lives. And um, God says, and we say, well, I, I need that in my life now. And God says, trust me, you don't want that. You don't need that, and you don't want that. So I think a, a thing we got to come, got to kind of come to grips with here at the end. Of, at the end, here as we conclude, is do you have? I'll just say things that might be stuff. It might be an attitude. It might be words you say. It might be things you watch. I don't know whatever it might be. Do you have things in your life that are outside of the will of God? The things where God has blatantly said this is this is wrong and you should not be doing it. Is it just simple things that um, God has said? Hey, for your family, it may be okay for some other families, but not for you. And yet you you just kind of allowed it to kind of ooze back into your life. Listen, don't get comfortable with things that God has said are not His will for your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and thank you for uh, that you do give us good things. You're not opposed to us having things, but Lord, help us to be so careful 